Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Let's uh, read the passage for today's message. It comes from Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Limelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of, the har- of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from the morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me, for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an F. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, 
to go with the women who work for him, because in some, someone else's fields you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back after a couple of weeks' leave, and I'm looking forward to looking at Ruth chapter 2 today. Um, By now, you probably know that we have a family dog called Darcy. In fact, if you're a regular, you're probably sick of hearing about him. But my wife and kids love it when I use him in sermon illustrations because they get a week off. (laughs) Darcy is a miniature bull terrier. And one of the reasons we got Darcy, we've always been dog people, uh, but we lost our last dog a couple of years ago and we didn't get a dog for a couple of years. Um, But one of the reasons we ended up getting Darcy is because there was a bit of an epidemic going on in our local community where people were breaking into houses. And so particularly when I'm not home or when I'm away, I feel a lot more secure when we have a dog. And so we wanted to get a dog uh, as a family pet, but also as a deterrent. Now, we didn't want to get a big dog um, because we've only got a little yard. uh, But we also wanted a dog that if you saw him in the house or in the backyard, uh, you'd think twice before kicking in the front door or jumping the back fence. And so I did a lot of research about which dog would be most suitable. Obviously, we've got young kids, and we wanted a dog that was good with kids. But we also wanted a dog that some people might be scared of, uh, the right kind of people. And so we looked at it, did the research, and I found uh, miniature bull terriers, which is what Darcy is. And I think they're gorgeous dogs. Uh, Most people think they're ugly. Uh, And in fact, a lot of people cross the road when they see me walking the dog towards them. And so probably because they're intimidated by how good looking he is. Um, But they they just don't like bull terriers. But during the research, I found that this is a perfect dog for us because some people are scared of them, but they're also really great with kids. And they're known as the clown of the dog world because they do silly and stupid things that in theory are meant to make you laugh. Most of the time we just tear our hair out. But Darcy is exactly like that. He's a bit of a clown. But one thing I didn't realise about bull terriers until we got one is just how affectionate they are. Darcy is a super affectionate dog and he particularly loves the females in our house. Our last dog was a female and she loved me. She was my dog and I still think Darcy's my dog but he loves the females much more than he loves me. And so at night he comes and he sits on the couch and if there's absolutely nobody else sitting on the couch except me, he'll reluctantly come and snuggle up to me. But if there's any other female on the couch, he wants nothing to do with me, and he'll just sit with the females. And he particularly loves Kim, which is kind of hilarious, because I don't think Kim particularly likes Darcy. (laughs) And at the same time, Darcy doesn't understand the concept of personal space. And so most dogs will just do what dogs do, and they'll snuggle up next to you, but not Darcy. He'll put his paws up on your shoulder, and he'll wash your face with his tongue. And so I find it quite hilarious watching this happen with Kim. And when Kim eventually pushes him off because he's a bit of a brute, he doesn't just sit next to you, he puts his full body weight on you or he just sprawls back like this on you and he just relaxes. And it's amazing to watch this dog that has no concept of personal space with a woman like Kim who doesn't particularly like him. Darcy is a little dog. He just wants to be with his family. He just loves the company. And he's a little dog with a lot of love. A couple of weeks ago, Rowan launched our current four-week series from the Book of Ruth. And the Book of Ruth is a little bit like Darcy the Miniature Bull Terrier. It's a little book with a lot of love. And as we work our way through this book, we will see the love pour out from the pages through all the characters in the story, whether it's Ruth or Naomi or Boaz, who we meet today, or God himself, who is unmistakably at work from the start to the end of this story with incredible love. 
Today, as we look at the love within this passage, I want you to see love expressed in the area or the way of kindness. Love expressed in kindness. Now, if you missed week one, we need to probably recap the story so far. Ruth lived in the time of the judges. It was approximately 1000 BC, and it wasn't really a good time for God's people. A few years earlier was a good time where Joshua led God's people into the promised land, and they inherited the land that God had promised them years before. But as they entered the land, they recommitted themselves to God. And so this was a real highlight in the history of Israel. But after Joshua's death, Judges chapter 2 tells us that a whole new generation grew up, and they didn't know the Lord, and they didn't understand what he had done for them. And so they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and it says they worshipped foreign gods. Now, the book of Judges is what I call the book of the roundabout. It goes around. God's people are in this endless cycle, this roundabout. And it's not a good roundabout. Not like our roundabouts that get us somewhere safely. This was a bad roundabout. And this is what the roundabout looked like. God's people would sin. God would punish them. They would then cry out to God. God would raise up a judge to deliver them. They would repent. They would be restored. And then guess what? They would sin. And they would cry out to God. God would punish them. He would raise up a judge to deliver them. They would repent. They are restored. And then they would sin. And so you have this horrible kind of roundabout that happens around about six or seven times over a 300-year period in the book of Judges. And now with the benefit of hindsight, we look at a book like that and we read through it and we think to ourselves, you idiots, how could you possibly do that? Over and over again, the same mistakes. And that is about the time where we turn the mirror on ourselves. And we realize we're, we're reading about a story that is like an episode of This Is Your Life, that you and I continually make the same mistakes. We continually sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And none of us here today can possibly be in relationship with God in our own strength. It's only by the grace of God. And I think that humbles us all pretty quickly. And so Naomi, who we met in chapter 1, is an Israelite woman who lives in this period of time during the Judges. And we know that from the very first verse of the first chapter. It says, Naomi uh, lived in the days when the judges ruled. Now, verse 1 also told us that at that particular time for Naomi, there was a famine in the land, which was probably a result of God's judgment. And so Naomi and her husband and her two sons, they get up and they left Bethlehem to go and live in the land of Moab, presumably to escape the famine. While they're in Moab... Their two sons married two Moabite women, uh, Oprah Winfrey and Ruth. That was a joke. It's actually Orpah and Ruth. But as they are in the land, tragedy strikes and Naomi's husband and both of her sons end up dying. And so now Naomi is a stranger. Uh, she's in a foreign land. She's lost most of her family. And so she decides to pack up her stuff with her two daughters-in-law and head back from Moab to Bethlehem. Now, it's not far into the journey that they realise, or Naomi realises, this is a huge step for her two daughter-in-laws. And she encourages them to go back to their families in Moab and remarry while they're still young, which would be the expected and perhaps the sensible thing to do. And so she's like, go back to your families. Go on. It's very nice to stick with me, but you're much better if you go back. Now, after a lot of convincing... Um, first of all, both of them say, no, we're going to stick by you. But she's very persistent. And eventually, uh, Orpah thinks, yes, that's a good idea. I'm going to go back to my family. I'm going to remarry. I'm going to start my own talk show called The Orpah Winfrey Show. And so she kisses Naomi and she heads off back um, to Moab. But Naomi decides, oh, sorry, Ruth decides that she will stick 
with Naomi. And in the most famous verse in chapter 1, she says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you. Don't urge me to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and most importantly, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. And so Ruth, in a display of incredible kindness and self-sacrifice and loyalty and love, sticks by Naomi and goes with her to Bethlehem. And so as we look at the story today, I want us to focus on kindness. I want to see kindness in two areas this morning. I want us to notice the kindness of God to his people and the kindness of God expressed by his people. And so the kindness of God to his people and the kindness of God expressed by his people. And so first of all, let's look at the kindness of God because God is unmistakably at work in this story with loving kindness. So far in the story, we've had pretty much nothing but tragedy. A huge tragedy for Naomi. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. We can only try and imagine how painful that loss would be. And we shouldn't underestimate Naomi's loss because we haven't walked in her shoes. But we know from the passage and in Naomi's own words that she responds with bitterness. Verse 19 of chapter 1, they arrived back in Bethlehem and the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? But Naomi, in verse 20, says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Is Naomi here this morning? She's not here this morning. We have Naomi in our church, and she's very pleasant, so she lives up to her name. But Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. She says, call me Mara, because Mara means bitter. And then she leaves no question marks as to who she blames for her current circumstance. She says, because the Almighty, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. No question mark as to who she blames for her situation. Have you ever noticed that people are very quick to blame God for their problems? And at the same time, very slow to thank God for their blessings. Quick to blame God for our problems, very slow to thank God for their blessings. And I wonder how often you've met people that were once very pleasant people, but have become very bitter people in response to the circumstances of life. Maybe you've been there yourself. I think all of us at times have responded in ungodly ways to the circumstances of our own lives. Most of us would have had at times uh, where we've responded in anger, where we've doubted God's goodness. And if we've allowed that to linger, perhaps even in our own lives at times, we've become very bitter, bitter towards others, and worst of all, bitter towards God. This was Naomi's response to tragedy in her life that we consider this morning. But as we consider Naomi's loss, we should be careful not to gloss over how tragic this was for Ruth as well. Ruth, too, had lost her own husband, her father-in-law, and her brother-in-law. Not only that, but she's now left her family. She's left her friends, her homeland, her security. She's a stranger in a new place with no provision and perhaps no real hope for the future. She too would have been mourning in this season of life. But in the story, we clearly see two different responses to tragedy. Naomi goes down the road of bitterness. But Ruth takes a different path. 
Instead of bitterness, Ruth responds with faith. On the new Hillsong album, there's a song called I Am Who You Say I Am. And the chorus goes like this. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And it's a great song with a beautiful declaration of God's kindness in our lives. And the truth is, every day we have the opportunity or the choice in how we respond to the difficult times of our lives. Like Naomi, we can blame God. We can blame everybody else. We can respond with anger. We can get bitter. We can sulk in the corner. Or we can choose to do something different. We can choose to cast our burdens on God, trust Him, and grow in faith, even at, or perhaps even through, most powerfully, the difficult seasons of life. This is the way that Ruth goes, and instead of getting bitter, she makes a decision to get better. And as she does that, in this process, she encounters the kindness of God. So we pick up the story today in chapter 2 as Ruth and Naomi arrive in Bethlehem. But it's important that we note the last verse of chapter 1 because in that verse we see the kindness of God in the incidental details that we often, often overlook. Verse 22 of chapter 1 says, So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. As the barley harvest was beginning. Now, barley harvesting time was a very important time of year because it's a time of year that you would reap what has been sown. And so if Naomi and Ruth had arrived two months earlier or two months later, they would have no means of supporting themselves. But in the time of the barley harvest, they could find the means to live. Israel's law at that time made it compulsory to care for the poor and to give provision for those in need. And one of the ways that the law accounted for that was in the fields. And so the male workers, they'd go through the fields with their big sickle and they would cut down the grain with their sickle. And then the women workers would follow behind and they would bind together the sheaves. And then after that, um, they would deliberately leave some behind and then the poor were permitted to follow those people into the fields and gather what was left behind. They could glean for themselves and in this way they could provide for themselves and hopefully for their families as well. And so Ruth says to Naomi in verse 2, as they arrive back into Bethlehem, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. And so Naomi says, that's a great idea. Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, I love the second part of verse 3. It says, as it turned out, as it turned out, another uh, translation I saw says, by chance, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Now, the first question is, who is Boaz? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're introduced to Boaz for the first time. Boaz is a family relative of Naomi uh, from her husband's side. And from the very first introduction, it's clear that Boaz is a good man. It says he's a man of standing. In other words, he was a responsible, upstanding, and I think in the case of Boaz, a godly man within his community. And so as it turned out, by chance, of all the fields on planet Earth, uh, Ruth ended up in a field owned by Boaz. Now, who here knows that there's no such thing as coincidences with God? Three people know. Four people. Five, six, seven, eight. It's great. Eight people know. There's no such thing as a coincidence with God. Let me tell all the rest of you this morning, there's no such thing as a coincidence with God. 
And what is happening in this story is not a coincidence, it's a God incidence. This is not a coincidence, it's providence. In a very hopeless and dark situation, clearly God is at work expressing his incredible kindness to Ruth. I remember a number of years ago where we had a time in life where it felt really dark. It felt like I was in a hopeless situation. I just resigned from a position on staff at a church and the way people responded to that resignation is something that I'll never fully understand. I had nothing else to go to at the time and at the same time I had my beautiful wife and at that stage three kids to feed and a whole bunch of uncertainty about the present and also the future. As a family and particularly Kim and I, we felt crushed at that time of our life, disappointed in people we expected a lot more from and certainly very emotionally fragile. And if it wasn't for a couple of people that I allowed to speak into my life in that season, I think I had the potential of becoming permanently bitter. Bitter with church, bitter with God's people, and maybe even bitter with God. I think this is where Ruth was a huge blessing in Naomi's life in this particular season because she didn't allow her to stay bitter. And so after a couple of months of feeling kind of angry and hurt, a couple of months of healing and recovery, I eventually said to Kim after a time of prayer that despite the hurt we were in, I believed that we were called to ministry and part of our healing would be to step back into ministry and to serve God regardless of the hurt we felt. And so I started looking online at different ministry positions. And there were quite a few in our area. We didn't really want to move. Our kids were really settled in school and we liked our area. We'd recently bought a new home, or not a new home, but a home. We didn't really want to leave, and so started looking online, and there was a whole bunch of jobs in the area that looked interesting and suitable, and I thought, yep, one of those would be really good. And then there was one job uh, in a faraway land called Beaconsfield, and immediately I, I thought, where on earth is Beaconsfield? I thought Beaconsfield is where people fell down mines. <laughs> Eventually I realised this wasn't the Tasmanian Beaconsfield, but it was down the M1 near Pakenham. And all I could think of was, you know, cows and sheep and grass and no beach. And so I quickly crossed it off the list. In my mind, I didn't give it a second thought. I discounted it completely. And so I started trying in my own strength to find a ministry position in our area that would enable us to stay where we were. Now, little did I know that God was at work all the way down in sleepy Beaconsfield. God was doing stuff. My granddad is a very godly man, a retired pastor, and he was living in Pakenham at the time, and he knew uh, the pastor at Beaconsfield. And so he made a visit to David, the pastor, and he said, uh, that pastoral position sounds very interesting. And he told him about his grandson, and he said, I think my grandson would be a great fit at Beaky. Now, when you have a grandfather come and advocate for their grandson, you probably think, uh, that's just a grandfather doing what a grandfather should do. And David said to him, well, that's great. Tell him to apply for the role. Uh, around the same time, I was at a local football club in Dingley, and I ran into a girl that I'd known years and years before through church life. And she knew I'd been working at a particular church, and she said, how's church going? And I said, well, it's an interesting question you asked right now. I just recently resigned. And she said, oh, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, um, we believe that God's calling us into ministry, and so we're just praying about um, you know, what God would do. And she said, well, I've got a brother at Beaconsfield Baptist Church. She said, it's a, it's a long way away. And I said, yeah, it's too far. We want to stay close. And she said, oh, well, I'm catching up with him for dinner tonight, and I'll mention it to him anyway. So she went and had dinner, and she told him, and he was really excited because I knew him when I was younger as well. And so what did he do? He went and met with the pastor. And he said, I've got this young guy. Uh, he'd be a great fit at Beaconsfield. And the pastor said, great, tell him to apply. 
two days later, I had a phone call on my mobile, and it was a phone call from a lady called Jenny Watson. You probably know Jenny Watson. She's sitting in the middle right there, and she's a member here at Follow. And um, Jenny and Roy have been family friends since I was really young. And so when I was young, I grew up with uh, her two sons and daughter. And I hadn't really seen Jenny and Roy much over the years, but as it turns out, as it happened by chance, uh, I'd been pastoring her daughter at my previous church. And uh, the daughter had, was overseas at the time and heard I'd resigned, rang up Jenny and said, oh, it's no good, Luke's resigned, blah, blah, blah. Probably crying, I imagine. It's pretty devastating. <laughs> I've got a good imagination. And Jenny said, it's going to be all right. We're looking for a pastor at our church, so maybe I'll give him a ring. And so she rang up, and here's Jenny on the end of the phone. And she said, hey, Luke, I heard you've resigned from your church, and you're looking for a new position, and I'm a Beaconsfield Baptist, and we've got this new position, and uh, I reckon you'd be great for it. She said, we've had about a dozen applications, but it's not too late, and so maybe you should apply. And so by this stage, it was like, hello, McFly. You know all those close jobs? No, no, they're not for you. We're, we're going to send you literally to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so you should apply for this job in Beaconsfield. And so I did, and you wouldn't believe it, but I actually got the role. Now, all the while, the senior pastor never knew that the young guy that the three people had mentioned was the same young guy. And I always chuckle when I'm driving down the Monash Freeway now. I remember the first time I ever drove for the job interview at Beaconsfield. And when I saw that sign that said Beaconsfield next exit, I said, thank you, Jesus, I'm in the right area. Uh, and I saw this sign that says uh, next exit Beaconsfield. And so I kept driving. If you know the exit, you get to the exit. And then when you get to the exit, it says this exit officer. And I always chuckle because I think it's, I say to my, my kids, that's a prophetic sign right there that God provided in an incredible way a role for us at Beaconsfield, but bigger picture, he wanted us to keep going to plant a church in Officer. Isn't it wonderful how God provides? God is at work in our lives all the time, and three people think that is amazing this morning. <laughs> but here I was in this really difficult season of life, and, and I, I can't underestimate, I can't, I can't sort of downplay how, how difficult it was. I remember in that season of my life, there was times when I was laying in bed or sitting on the couch, and I literally couldn't breathe. I've never had anything like that happen before. I've never had anything like that happen since. But we were in a really emotionally difficult and dark place. I, here I was in this difficult season of life, not able to see beyond myself, worried about the present, terrified about the future, doubting God's plan for my life, feeling broken and lost, thinking, God, where are you? Why is this happening? All the while, God was at work behind the scenes, expressing his immense kindness to us by providing a role not only at Beaconsfield, but a bigger picture calling to a vision to plant a church in Officer. God is so incredibly good, and when we can't see what he's doing, he's always at work. Just the other night, I dropped into the food van on Tuesday night, I think it was, and we were leaving the food van, and I looked back at the park. And a couple of years ago, that park was a, a dark, dingy, dangerous place. It was notorious for crime, and uh, prostitution was starting there, and there was drugs and alcohol and violence. And as I looked back at that park, it was lit up like Christmas, and I saw our truck there, and I saw these beautiful new tents, and I saw about 50 people eating food and in conversation with godly people. And I said, this is a great life lesson to my daughter. I said, look back at the park. I said, if we didn't step out in faith, who knows if that would be there? We know God's sovereign, but would it look the same as what it does? 
And I look out today and I see an amazing congregation of people. Let me tell you, when I was in that season, I didn't see that park. I didn't see this congregation. I saw darkness. I saw no hope. But God, but God was working in our lives in an incredibly kind and gracious way. In a hopeless situation, God was looking out for our family. In a very similar way, God is at work in Ruth's life, putting her in Boaz's field. It was no coincidence. This is not an as-it-happened moment. This is not something that happened by chance. This is God at work, and he's expressing his kindness to Ruth. God places Ruth in Boaz's field, and he brings Boaz into the story. It's a wonderful thing. Boaz is a godly and a very kind man. There's a few indicators of that in this passage. If we look at verse 8, Boaz told Ruth to stay in his field because it would be safe. In verse 9, he tells the men not to harm her, and he tells her to help herself to the water jars when she was thirsty, even though water was in short supply. In verse 12, he speaks a blessing over her life. In verse 14, he allows her to share his bread and dip and offered her roasted grain to eat. In verse 16, he tells his workers to leave stalks of grain behind deliberately for her and not to rebuke her. And in verse 20, we see the most extraordinary part of the story, that Boaz is a guardian redeemer in their family. Now, a guardian redeemer is simply someone who has an obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. Guardian redeemer is a person to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. And I think we'll come to understand the full implications of that next week in chapter 3 and how it ultimately points us back to Jesus, our Redeemer. And so Ruth happens, by chance, I don't think so, to end up in the field of Boaz, her guardian Redeemer, and Boaz, this man, represents for Ruth opportunity for redemption, opportunity for provision, for hope, for a family, and for a future. This is incredible. Boaz is provided by God in the most tragic and difficult circumstances, God is at work in Ruth's life with loving kindness. And in verse 12, it tells us that Ruth finds herself or found refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. I remember a couple of years ago in a sermon, um, David Young was preaching, he used an illustration of an, uh, a couple of artists. And they were given this job, the person ordering the art said, I want you to paint a picture and your picture needs to uh, point to or illustrate the theme of peace. And so these two artists had to go away and they had to paint what they saw peace being. And so the first artist, he went and he painted this beautiful scene out in the countryside. It was a beautiful scene. There was paddocks. The sun was shining. It was glistening off the water. It was peaceful. There was no hustle and bustle. Uh, it was nice and quiet and still. And you would look at that picture and you'd go, ah. The serenity. Take me there now. The serenity, like the castle. Castle, depending on whether you're born in Adelaide. The serenity. Lucky fire. The other artist did something completely different. He painted a picture, and you would look at it straight away, and you think, what has that got to do with peace? It was dark, and the, the, you know, the rain was pouring down, and the trees were bending under the ferocity of the wind, and the lightning was striking. And it was dark, and it was cold, and it was miserable, and it was scary, and it was dangerous. But in the middle of this picture, there was a, a bird's nest in a tree, and a mother bird with its wings. And highlighted in the picture underneath her wings were her beautiful little chicks. 
in the midst of life's circumstances where things seem so difficult and dangerous and dark, the wings of that mother bird were sheltering those little chicks, keeping them safe and secure. Uh, that mum was a refuge. And the truth is, and that passage is trying to highlight for us today, this is the God that we know. This is what God is. This is who God is for us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in time of need. As the psalmist says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And so I wonder this morning what's happening in your life right now. Are there things that you've given up on? Is your life gripped by insecurity and fear? Are you thinking, God, where are you? Are you doubting the goodness of God in your life? Have you lost sight of the future? Have you forgotten God's kindness? I think the book of Ruth is a reminder of the loving kindness of God that is also available to you and me. God is at work in our lives this morning. Regardless of what we see or don't see, God is working in our lives. And so let's say this together this morning. God is at work in my life. Say it now like you mean it. God is at work in my life. Now look around you this morning and say, God is at work in your life and your life. And your life, and your life, God is at work. He is working all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. In this story, we clearly see the kindness of God. But the second thing we see, and this will be a lot shorter, I promise, we see the kindness of God's people. And so we see the kindness of God, and then we see the kindness of God expressed through God's people. Alan DeGeneres at the end of every episode of her talk show, Alan, finishes with the phrase, be kind to one another. For someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian, I think that's pretty good advice to us as Christian people, that we should be kind to one another. I think it's so sad that Christians are so often perceived as angry, judgmental people who are always pointing the finger, acting like we are self-righteous moral police, speaking about but avoiding the very people that Jesus hung out with. I have a conviction that Christians should be the kindest people on planet Earth. We should be the kindest people on planet Earth as we are gripped by the incredible kindness of God expressed most powerfully through the cross where his one and only son died on our behalf that we could be forgiven, saved and have hope for the future. As we experience the abundant kindness of God, all we need to do is open the valve and let it pour out to people around us. In this story, we have the example of two people who showed extraordinary kindness. We've already heard about the kindness of Boaz to Ruth, even though she was a foreigner. And there's no doubt that Boaz is a godly man, but as we read the story, we're told that Boaz was was an older man, and Ruth was a younger woman. And I get the impression that she was kind of cute. And I get the impression from as soon as as Boaz arrives in the field, look at what he says. First question he asks... Who does that woman belong to? The modern translation is, whoa, who's that? (laughs) And so we can look at this story and we think, well, Boaz was kind, but he's kind of got a reason for being kind because the story works out pretty well for old Boaz. And so if this is the only kindness we saw in the passage, we may be a little bit cynical. But the good news is it's not. 
Boaz was consistently a man of kindness and of godly character. And I think we see that in the way he addresses his workers. You see, Boaz had this field. He had supervisors whose jobs were to look after the workers, to encourage them, to make sure they do the right thing. But when Boaz arrives in the field, he he goes right past his supervisor and he goes straight to the workers. And he says to them, the Lord be with you. And you can see the respect they have for him by their response. They say, the Lord bless you. You know, one thing I've noticed over the years is that character becomes abundantly clear when you see how people with authority speak to those who they've been given authority over. Character becomes abundantly clear when you see how people with authority speak to those that they've been given authority over. Because godly people show godly character in all circumstances and to all people. I used to have a pastor and we'd go out to catch up at a cafe for coffee on a regular basis. And I noticed that he always spoke down to the wait staff. And I used to remember trying to overcompensate with incredible friendliness because I think they knew we were from the church. And, and I just thought, how sad. Now, those people aren't just people that serve us coffee and cake. They're our mission field. As we sit in a cafe and we're served by people, they should experience the kindness of God through the way that we speak to them, through the way that we love them and respect them. We're no better than them. We just have different roles to play. What an opportunity we have to express the kindness of God when you're in a cafe, when you're picking up your kids from school or kinder, when you're in your workplace, when you're in your friendship circle. We have an incredible opportunity to radiate the kindness of God. Boaz goes and addresses those lowly servants and his character shines through even with people he has authority over because godly people show godly character in all circumstances and to all people. For Ruth, we, always, we also see her love as an example to us in this story, and it shines through predominantly in two ways, her kindness and her service. We've already spoke about how kind she was to stick by Naomi no matter what. There's incredible sacrifice, and it's precisely that kindness that prompts Boaz to acknowledge it in verse 12. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth's godly character shines through in her kindness, but it also shines through in her service. You'll notice at the start of the passage that she's left her homeland, she's in a crisis time in her life, but she's the one who offers to go into the fields, which could be incredibly dangerous places for women, especially foreigners, and she goes there so that she could provide for Naomi. We see from verse 7 that she worked hard from early in the morning to late in the evening, only taking one short break the whole entire day. Now, if anybody had an excuse to sulk, if anyone had an excuse to quit a roster, to stop serving, to complain, to focus on herself rather than others, to go inward rather than outwards, then surely it would be Ruth. I think most of us would say fair enough. She's gone through some pretty tragic stuff in life. Life is tough for her right now. She needs to focus in on on herself and getting life under control. I think we'd cut her some slack if she too became a little bit bitter like Naomi. But Ruth responds in a completely different way, not with bitterness, but with kindness and with service. How do we respond when things don't go to plan in our own lives? Can we say hand on heart, that we still treat people with kindness even when we're feeling really awful ourselves? Can we hand on heart say that even through difficulty of life, we continue to sacrificially serve? I think Ruth is a stunning example to us that kindness and service are not dependent on circumstances because God 
is the one that expresses kindness to us no matter what. God's kindness is given to us as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In chapter 2 of Ruth, we are reminded that God is at work in our lives and that his kindness is constant in all of our circumstances. And so I want to finish today's message in the same way that Ellen would finish her talk show. As we reflect on the kindness of God, let's be kind to one another and to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord God, we are in awe of your kindness expressed to us. Lord, on a day like today, we remember that we've done nothing to deserve your love. We've rebelled against you. We've sinned. We've done the wrong thing over and over and over again. And if it was up to us to earn a relationship with you, none of us would be able to do it. But because of your grace and your loving kindness, you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven because the punishment we deserve has been paid. And in Christ, we have a hope for the future. And Lord, today as we reflect on the kindness in the story of Ruth, Lord, I pray there wouldn't be some abstract story from long ago, but I pray that we'd be reminded that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same God that is still loving and gracious and kind. And so today, Lord, we don't beat ourselves up, but we just rely on the kindness of God expressed to us through the cross. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be gripped with that kindness, and I pray that the veil would be released so that our kindness that comes from you can be expressed through your people to the people in this world that don't yet know you. Lord, may they see that kindness and may they be attracted to you as a result. Lord, I pray that you would help us with this. We need your Holy Spirit. We know the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd fill us afresh this morning. We have a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives this morning that you would fill our hearts with kindness that can't help but overflow from our lives to the lives of people around us and everything we do, everywhere we go, to every person we meet. Lord, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.